0: chapter nine of agnes sorrel by g p r james this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine long before the hour appointed for him to wait upon the duke jean charost was up and dressed expecting every moment to see the servant he had engaged present himself but no martin grille appeared the attendant of the duke who had waited upon him the preceding evening brought him a breakfast not to be despised consisting of delicacies from various parts of france and a bottle of no bad wine of bourgoncy but he could tell nothing of martin grille and by the time the meal was over the hour appointed by the duke had arrived on being admitted to the prince's dressing-chamber jean charost found him in his robe de chambre seated at a table writing his face the young man could not help thinking was even graver and sadder than on the preceding night but he did not raise his eyes at the secretary's entrance and continued to write slowly often stopping to correct or alter till he had covered one side of the paper before him when that was done he handed the sheet to the young secretary saying there copy me that and on taking the paper jean charost was surprised to see that it was covered with verse for he was not aware that the duke possessed any of that talent which was afterwards so conspicuous in his son. He seated himself at the table, however, and proceeded to fulfil the command he had received, not without difficulty, for the duke's writing, though large and bold, was not very distinct. To will and not to do, alas, how sad! Man and his passions, too, are mad, how mad! oh could the heart but break the heavy chain that binds it to this stake of earthly pain and see for joys all pure and hopes all bright for pleasures that endure and wells of light and purge away the dross with life allied i ne'er had mourned love's loss nor ever cried to will and not to do alas how sad man and his passions too are mad how mad read it read it said the duke of orleans and with some timidity the young secretary obeyed feeling instinctively how difficult it is to give in reading the exact emphasis intended by the writer he succeeded well however the duke was pleased perhaps as much with his own verses as with the manner in which they were read but after a few words of commendation he fell into a fit of thought again, from which he was at length startled by the slow tolling of the bell of a neighbouring church. He raised his eyes suddenly to the face of Jean Charost, as the sound struck upon his ear, and gazed at him with a strange, inquiring, but sorrowful expression of countenance, as if he would fain have asked, Do you know what that bell means? Can you comprehend the feelings it begets in me? the young man bent his eyes gravely to the ground and that sort of reverence which we all feel for deep grief and the sort of awe excited especially in young minds by the display of intense passion gave his countenance naturally an expression of sympathy and sorrow a moment after the duke started up exclaiming i cannot let her go without a look or a tear come with me my friend come with me god knows i need some support even in my wrong and my weakness and my punishment oh that i could give it you sir said jean charost in a low tone but the duke merely grasped his arm and leaning heavily upon him quitted the chamber by a door through which jean charost had not hitherto passed it led into the prince's bedroom and from that through what seemed a private passage to a distant suite of rooms on another front of the house The duke proceeded with a rapid but irregular pace, while the bell was still heard tolling, seeming to make the roof shudder with its slow and heavy vibrations. Through five or six different vacant chambers, fitted up with costly decorations, but apparently long unused, the prince hurried forward, till he reached that side of the house which looked over the wall of the gardens into the Rue Saint-Antoine, but there he paused before a window and gazed forth. There was nothing to be seen the street was almost deserted. A youth in a fustian jacket and wide hose, with a round cap on his head, evidently some labouring mechanic, passed along toward the Bastille, gazing forward with a look of stupid eagerness, and then set off running, as if to see some sight which he was afraid would escape him. And still the bell was heard tolling slow and solemnly, and filling the whole air with melancholy trembling the duke quitted his hold of jean charost and crossed his arms upon his breast setting his teeth hard as if they were a terrible struggle within in which he was determined to conquer a moment after a song rose upon the air a slow melancholy chant well marked in time with swelling flow and softening cadence and now a pause and then a full burst of song sometimes one or two voices heard alone and then a full chorus, but all sad and solemn and oppressive to the spirit. At length a man bearing a banner appeared, and then two or three couple of mendicant friars, and then a small train of Celestine monks in their long flowing garments, and then some boys in white gowns with censers, then priests in their robes, and then two white horses drawing a car with a coffin upon it, a closed coffin, which was not usual in those days at the funerals of the great men on horseback and on foot followed but jean charost did not clearly distinguish who or what they were he only saw the priests and the boys with their censers and the celestans in their white gowns and their black scapularies and the coffin and the flowers that strewed it even in the midst of winter in an indistinct and confused manner for his attention was strongly called in another direction, though he did not venture to look round. The moment the head of the procession had appeared from beyond one of the flanking towers of the garden wall, the Duke of Orléans had laid a hand upon his shoulder and grasped him tight as if for support. Heavier and heavier pressed the hand, and then the young man felt that the prince's head was bowed down and rested upon him, while the long-drawn, struggling breath The gasp, as if existence were coming to an end, told the terrible anguish of his spirit. Solemn and slow, the notes of the chant rose up as the procession swept along before the gates of the palace, and the words of the penitent king of Israel were heard ascending to the sky, and praying the God of mercy and of power to pardon and to succor. The grasp of the hand grew less firm, but the weight pressed heavier and heavier and, turning suddenly round, Jean Charost cast his arm about the duke from an instinctive feeling that he was falling to the ground. The prince's face was deadly pale, and his strong limbs shook as if with an ague. Bitter tears, too, were on his cheeks, and his lips quivered. "'Get me a chair,' he said, faintly, grasping the pillar between the windows. "'I feel ill. Get me a chair.' Almost afraid to leave him lest he should fall, Jean Charost hurried to obey, brought forward one of the large armchairs, and placing his hand under the duke's arm, assisted him to seat himself in it. Then, gazing anxiously in his face, he beheld an expression of deep and bitter grief, such as he had never seen before. No, not even in his mother's face when his father's dead body was brought back to his paternal hall. The young man's heart was touched the distinction of rank and station was done away in part sympathy created a bond between him and one who was comparatively a stranger and kneeling at the prince's side he kissed his hand saying oh sir be comforted death ever strikes the dearest and the best beloved it is the lot of humanity to possess but for a season that which we value most it is a trial of our faith to yield unrepining to him who lent that which he takes away trust trust in god to comfort and to compensate the duke shook his head sadly trust in god he repeated and him have i offended his laws have i broken young man young man you know not what it is to see the bitter consummation of what you yourself have done to behold the wreck you have made of happiness the complete desolation of a life once pure and bright and beautiful all done by you yes yes he added almost wildly i did it all what matter the instruments what signifies it that the dagger was not in my hand i was the cause of all i tore her from a peaceful home where she had tranquillity if not love i blasted her fair name I broke up her domestic peace. I took her from happiness. I gave her penitence and remorse. I armed the hand that stabbed her. Mine, mine is the whole crime, though she has shared the sorrow and endured the punishment. But there is mercy, sir, urged Jean Charost. There is mercy for all repentance. Surely, Christ died not in vain surely he suffered not for the few but for the many surely his word is not false his promise is not idle come unto me all ye that are weary and heavy laden and i will give ye rest he spoke of the weariness of the heart and the burden of the spirit he spoke to all men he spoke to the peasant in his hut to the king upon the throne to the saint in his cell to the criminal in his dungeon to the sorrowful throughout all the earth and throughout all time and to you o prince he spoke also unto you weary and heavy laden are you with your grief and your repentance turn unto him and he will give you rest there was something in the outburst of fervid feeling with which the young man spoke from the deep interest that had been excited in him by all he had seen and heard which went straight home to the heart of the duke of orleans and casting his arm around him he once more leaned his head upon his shoulder and wept profusely but now they seemed to be somewhat calmer tears he shed tears of grief but not altogether of despair and when he lifted his head again the expression of deep hopeless bitterness was gone from his face the chant too had ceased in the street though a faint murmur thereof was still heard in the distance you have given me comfort jean he said you have given me comfort when none else perhaps could have done so you are no courtier dear boy you have spoken when others would have stood in cold and reverent silence oh out upon the heartless forms that cut us off from our fellow-men even in the moment when the intensity of our human sufferings makes us feel ourselves upon the level of the lowliest out upon the heartless forms that drive us to break through the barrier into the sphere of passion as much in pursuit of human sympathies as of mere momentary pleasure come with me jean it is over the dreadful moment is past i will seek him to whom thou hast pointed i will seek comfort there but on this earth the hour just passed that forged a tie between thee and me which can never be broken Now I can understand how thou hast won so much love and confidence. It is that thou hast some heart, where all, or almost all, are heartless. Thus saying, he raised himself with the aid of the young man's arm, and walked slowly back to his own apartments by the way he had come. When they had entered his toilet-chamber, the duke cast himself into a chair, saying, Now leave me, de Bracy, but be not far off. I need not tell you not to speak of anything you have seen i know you will not i will send for you soon but i must have time for thought jean charost withdrew and sought his own room but it is not to be denied that the moment was a perilous one for his favour with the duke of orleans it is a very dangerous thing to witness the weaknesses of great men or those emotions which they look upon as weaknesses pride vanity doubt fear suspicion All whisper hate against those who can testify that they are not so strong as the world supposes. Alas, that it should be so! But so it is, and it was but by a happy quality in the mind of the Duke of Orléans, the native frankness and generosity of his disposition, that Jean Charost escaped the fate of so many who have witnessed the secret emotion of princes. Happily for himself, he knew not that there was any peril, and felt though in a different sense that as the prince had said there was a new tie between him and his royal master chapter nine